This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code Irish Times at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace's European Operations and Customer Service Office is located right here in Dublin. Squarespace, build it beautiful. You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Two massive explosions last week in the port of Tianjin in northern China killed more than 100 people, left hundreds more injured, and devastated much of the city. The explosions took place at a warehouse containing hazardous materials, raising questions about whether adequate safety precautions were in place. Local residents have been staging protests, demanding compensation, and the clamour for answers has now been taken up by the state-controlled media. To discuss the fallout from last week's explosions, I'm joined now from Beijing by our correspondent Clifford Coonan. Clifford, what do we actually know about what happened? Well, um, we're still trying to um, get to the bottom of what it was that caused these two um, deadly explosions. Um, we believe that the warehouse where the explosions took place held around 700 tonnes of sodium cyanide, which is highly toxic, and um, and this um, was an amount that would violate safety rules. Um, sodium cyanide reacts with, with other chemicals to, to form explosives, and um, we believe that, um, that it's possible that from one of the firefighters who arrived to put out a fire there, used water which reacted with the chemicals and, and caused um, a massive explosion or um, or something, some other uh, factor caused it, perhaps the fire itself caused the explosives to go off. So that's, that's where people are investigating at the moment here. Now, from what I understand, the, uh, the whole objections, or at least the protests, they centre around two things. One is the issue of whether the proper safety precautions were taken, and the other is about planning and about whether houses were built too close to this place. Yeah, I mean, there's supposed to be um, an exclusion area um, around... Um, the dangerous chemicals. This can vary, but it, it can be normally is around a kilometre. Um, and in this case, it was 500 metres. Um, there were some reports early on um, when I was in Tianjin, people saying that um, this was a clearing centre for customs. So these chemicals wouldn't ordinarily have been stored there. They were just there getting customs clearance. Um, but still, um, that wouldn't seem to, ta- that would not tally with, with, um, with, safety, with safety rules. So people have been, um, this has caused a lot of great concern about whether people were um, were following the safety rules. And today, um, China said that it was investigating the head of its work safety regulator. Um, his name is Yang Dongliang, who's head of the State Administration of Work Safety. And um, he's suspected of violating Communist Party discipline and the law, which is which is common parlance for um, for basically breaking the rules that he should have been following. Um, and they didn't say it was connected with Tianjin, but it is it is indicative of the fact that um, they are they're going to find out what you know, they're very keen to find out what caused this, and that um, whoever was responsible will not go unpunished. You mentioned that uh, the party is, uh, is as you say, uh, taking some action, but also some state-controlled media has been joining in this whole hunt for answers. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, there, there have been restrictions on the media here, but it's been it's been relatively free. Um, a lot, a couple of journalists have gotten very close. They've gotten some very good um, 
very good reporting out. Um, I mean, nearly all the media is state control, but you've had some enterprising reporters getting past the cordons. I, they're given more leeway so than foreign journalists, but um, still, normally they would be push the, the, what they're given. But they've actually gotten some very good um, photographs of crowds. Um, they've got some information and um, they've, they've asked questions um, in, in a much more aggressive way than they would have previously. And some people have read this as a sign that, um, that, that China is trying to uh, open up and, and trying to, um, you know, to, to provide more information. Because even in the ferry disaster um, of several weeks ago in, in, in Hebei province, we, uh, certain, the area was sealed off, whereas this time it's been sealed off for safety reasons, but they have given access to the media and there have been some stories from enterprising local journalists. Is there any sense that this whole event is being seen as yet another example of business or industry being put before people in China? Um, there have certainly been questions asked about that. Um, the, the company um, uh, Tianjin Port Ruihai International Logistics, which is um, the name of the company involved, uh, the warehouse owner, um, not exactly a snappy title. Um, they have been under um, under a lot of scrutiny because, um, yes, that there is a feeling that perhaps in this case that that that, um, that businesses put be, been put before people. Um, a lot of local residents who've been demonstrating this week have been complaining about how they had no idea that that they were living so close to um, to such dangerous chemicals. Um, they knew they were living in a port, but uh, and they knew there were dangerous chemicals coming through, but they presumed that they would have been in special areas. So people are trying to see if this is, is if this is the case, if it is actually um, um, if there were sort of um, rules broken on on, um, on putting business before people. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start your free trial site today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code IRISHTIMES to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This all is happening uh, amid uh, more questions about the economic condition of China and the whole business of economic growth. We saw in the last couple of weeks uh, a devaluation of the Chinese currency. How difficult uh, are, uh, are, the, are the challenges that the Chinese economy is facing? And to what extent do we actually know what's really going on in the economy in China? Well, we've had um, we've had a busy few weeks in the, in the Chinese economy. We had the um, stock market um, plunging, um, and that has since then it's been relatively stable, but it has gone up and down a couple of times since then. Then we had the devaluation, um, which has been three and a half percent over several days, which is aimed at trying to kickstart the export sector. China is obviously famous for its exports. Um, which have suffered because the currency means that um, its exports have become too expensive for many of its its main overseas markets, including Europe and um, and the US. So this was introduced maybe as or everyone presumes as a as a um, a way of giving the economy a lift. Um, it's um, still not it's still open to question whether this will work. Um, some some analysts today were saying that the valuation of the currency may not yet be over. Um, that it could go down, um, it still has a way to go. 
Um, economic growth, the economy is still expanding by 7%, 67%, which is still a fairly um, significant amount. But um, it needs to grow to that level to keep to keep creating jobs and uh, for the economy to, to grow in a meaningful way. So um, the, the question now is going to be seeing whether they can bring stability to the stock, the stock market, um, keep people consuming and buying goods in within China, and if they can then, um, if this devaluation will translate into into meaningful increase in, in Chinese industrial exports leaving the country. But there's another question too, isn't there, Clifford, insofar as we uh, were given to believe that China wanted to rebalance its economy away from industrial exports and towards a more consumer, uh, domestic demand-led economy. Uh, is that now all put on hold? Is it abandoned? Is it over? Um, I think the, what China's been trying to do is move up the value chain. It doesn't want to export the, the cheap widgets and, and garden furniture and the, the things that everyone knows it for. And it wants to start exporting, you know, getting, getting into the IT sector and, and exporting um, higher class, higher tech goods and building its own brand. And it wants to, to grow in that way. Um, and I don't think that's been put on hold, but... Um, they're also realizing that if you're going to sell high-tech goods, they have to be competitively priced. And no one's going to pay more for a Chinese um, PC than they would pay for, for um, one from a, a cheaper country. So I think what's happening is that possibly um, they're trying to, to make high, higher-tech exports more competitive. Um, and also, I think they're trying to um, keep consumption going here in China. I mean, what the problem is that the economy is changing um, or Maybe not the problem, but the issue is that the economy is changing from being um, – it's, it's grown so, so dramatically in the last uh, three or four decades um, that your, the consumers have changed. I mean, we're still seeing growth in the services sector, uh, which is very high, but the demand for traditional goods is, is, is lower. And also demand for things like cars, which were big drivers of the economy, that's also falling because um, people might have a little bit less money, but also um, – you know, a few years ago, no one had cars, and suddenly a lot more people have cars. So demand is falling almost naturally. So there are a lot of um, there are a lot of issues about the whole nature of the Chinese economy at play here, and I think that's possibly what the government is trying to tinker with um, and trying to adjust with the, with the various measures that we've seen in the last few weeks. And if these various measures don't succeed in boosting economic growth sufficiently to reach the level where you are creating jobs, what are the political consequences for the government of failing to do that? Well, these are, these are obviously big questions that the, um, the Chinese leadership are, are dealing with at the moment. Um, they are reportedly gathered in Beidaihe, which is a resort uh, town not so far from Beijing um, at the moment, um, looking at these, um, they're supposed to be working on a new five-year plan, um, and Chinese government puts great store by its five-year plans, and increasingly the international community has been reading these documents um, for guidance on where the Chinese economy is heading. Um, I think they realize that, um, that that something more needs to be done. We are seeing Li Keqiang, the prime minister, the premier, who is charged with, with dealing with the economy. We're seeing a, a lot of him recently. So, um, I think it's, it's absolutely crucial for the Communist Party that the economy grows and keeps creating jobs because um, if, if it leads to social unrest, um, then this could have very serious ramifications for, for the government. The Communist Party has been tremendously popular in, in the last 
few years, um, largely built on the fact that it has lifted so many people out of poverty. And in recent years, it's given people cars, it's given people a nice lifestyle, um, and it's it's given them the kind of um, um, wealth that, that they never had before. Um, so the question was always going to be how the Communist Party um, maintains the support if the economy starts to slow, and that's still very much an open question. Clifford Coonan in Beijing, thank you. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Robert Sullivan, and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.